Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome, everyone, to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant, and for those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007, and I'm the author of Beyond Surviving, The Final Stage of Recovery from Sexual Abuse. I work with survivors who are sick and tired of feeling broken and unfixable, and I help them let go of the pain of abuse and move on with their lives. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at rachelgrantcoaching.com. Today, I'm very excited to have um, here with me my guest, Andrea Burnett, who has been on her own path of healing and recovery from a variety of experiences, and most importantly, has done great advocacy work with survivors. And she's here today to talk about that work and her journey and what she's learned along the way. First, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my guest. Andrea was born and raised in the Bay Area. She was a court reporter for over 30 years and then embarked on a new career of mentoring and training women to own their own businesses through Rodin and Fields Business. Her passions are exploring various spiritual paths, sharing what she's learned over the past 30 years about relationships, healthy boundaries, family, healthy eating, her love of being outdoors, and golden retrievers. Her joy is being of service to women, empowering them to have the courage to do the healing work on themselves that allows them to dream again and be free to create whatever life they envision for themselves. Andrea, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Rachel. 
So to get us started today, I'd love to hear just a little more about what put you on um, this particular path. Well, um, it just seems to be that my whole life, um, and I probably from the time that I was 11 or 12, I was attracted to unhappy, lonely people. And, you know, if there was a boy that was standing up against the wall and looked unhappy or looked defiant or um, just looked miserable, I just thought that I could go and love them and they would be okay. And um, I didn't know at that time that that was the beginning of my codependent relationships, that I wasn't looking at relationships as two strong equals coming together. I was thinking relationships was where you go and fix somebody and make them feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I started dating uh, and getting you know, into my teens, that's what I was attracted to. I wasn't attracted to um, what I thought were boring people, just people who were nice, people who were calm. I was uh, more attracted to the drama, um, to, uh, once again, the unhappy people mm-hmm. and the kind of more wild people. And um, I just couldn't figure out why I couldn't have, you know, successful relationships. I thought, you know, that if I loved somebody enough that they'd really, you know, feel so much better and then they'd love me. Right. And um, and through that, um, you know, I was lucky in that I didn't get myself into any situations where it crossed the line into physical abuse, but there was a lot of emotional mm. and verbal abuse in these right. relationships. Gotcha. It was something that um, I knew, you know, there was some part of self-survival in me in mm-hmm. um, noticing when things were getting, you know, to the violent line, but I didn't, you know, recognize it when it was emotional and verbal. Yeah, Gotcha. Yeah, and thank you for sharing that because I think many people can relate to that journey that if it's not, quote unquote, obvious <laughs> what's happening, um, that it, it can have these, these can take on somewhat um, some subtleties and subtle forms and that we may not always recognize it from the very get-go, but it, it certainly, certainly has an impact. And um, can you say a little bit more about that, just, you know, what you've noticed along um, your journey, some of the challenges that um, you've had to face? Well, you know, I never could recognize the pattern or the red flags um, until I started doing work on myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the people did not start off sullen or mean or pushing me away. They were charming and gave me tons of attention and wanted to move really fast. And, um, you know, for somebody who was kind of shy and lonely, um, it it felt so good to have all that attention. And what I didn't realize is that when somebody gives you all of that attention and moves fast and gives you that rush of um, being the center of the universe, it's a red flag that this person feels as insecure as you do. Mm-hmm. And so right. um, that's why I thought that nice people were boring because they just took things slow and they just wanted to get to know me as a person and um, they wanted me around them all the time and they didn't push me away. And so my relationships would start where it looked so promising because they were so nice and everything and then it would, you know, as soon as they knew that I was emotionally hooked, they would start to pull away. 
and they would start mm, to push mm-hmm. me away. And this happened enough times that um, I had someone who really loved me point out that I was the common denominator in these relationships. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you like know, the good news, I, bad news, right? <laughs> right, right, which I vehemently denied, of course. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, um, but what finally got me to change um, and do the work on myself was that I met somebody who was both a really loving and caring and wanted really wanted me around them all the time, but was also an addict. And mm-hmm. I was confused by that. And I didn't really know about uh, the traits of alcoholism. I wasn't raised in an actively drinking home. Um, and so I didn't know what that meant. Uh, I had my own issues with experimenting with things in middle school, um, drinking and smoking pot and doing stuff like that. But really, I was much more addicted to relationships than I was to any substance, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, even though I didn't know that was the definition of it at the time. And so what brought me into the work of um, finding out about me, about codependency, about... Uh, my childhood and, you know, what I learned as a child and how I learned to be in relationship to get my needs met was by being in a relationship with somebody that um, I really didn't want to leave, didn't know how to leave, didn't know why I couldn't leave, um, Mm -hmm. and was very confused over why I could have a very successful business life and not an emotional life. And so... um, for me, it um, my particular path happened to be Al-Anon, um, and uh, I don't speak for Al-Anon. It was, uh, you know, we don't speak at the level of press, radio, TV, and film about Al-Anon, but that, for me, um, I feel comfortable breaking my own anonymity and telling my own story because really that is where I found the help and the support to break the patterns of the relationships that I was choosing. Mhm. Yeah. And so as you started to explore this, what did you notice? Because, you know, one of the questions that often comes up, uh, particularly, you know, as I, the work that I do with survivors is, you know, thinking about how we find ourselves, you know, the way that we make our way into these types of relationships. And certainly um, many survivors find themselves having experiences exactly as you've described, where it's, you know, very codependent, looking to others for um, validation, becoming, you know, kind of enmeshed in a way um, where they kind of you lose a sense of self and autonomy and and choice and these sorts of things. As you looked at this for yourself, what did you notice about the um, the circumstances that um, created the kind of pull towards that or um, that led to you kind of being in those situations? What do you attribute that to? Well, I think it was the way that I thought love looked like when I was a child. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that we find what we think the definition of love is. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, I really wanted my father's attention, and he would either give his full attention to me, or if he was upset, he would withdraw it. Yeah. And... You know, I know as an adult that he was doing the best that he could, but as a child I thought that was something I did, that I either made mm-hmm. him pull away or get close. And so I tried to be what somebody wanted me to be, I thought, so that I would have 
the security and the love and the attention of this parent that was the sun and the moon to me. And I think when we don't really get those needs met as a child, we keep trying it until we figure out that that's not what our source of um, fulfillment is, that we Mm -hmm. have to fall in love with ourselves. And also, um, it was very surprising for me to find and discover that because I thought close relationships were painful, I was picking people that were guaranteed not to be able to get close to me. Yeah. And um, that that way I'd never had to be truly intimate in a relationship. I thought intimacy meant sex. And really mm-hmm. intimacy means being vulnerable with another human being. And um, I was picking relationships where they didn't want me to be vulnerable. They weren't vulnerable. And so I could manage that type of a relationship. And yeah. as I got older and had somebody saying, "I, you know, you're really nice, but you don't let me very close. It was really a surprise to me to find out that I just was so afraid of opening my heart to somebody. Right, right. And how this really came to my attention is when my child was born. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that just knocked all the walls out for me of all this love that came to me and how that manifested for me was postpartum depression. Oh, interesting. here's this rush of love, and I did not ever want to love somebody that much. Mm-hmm. What, if they right. what if something happens? What if, you know, what if she gets hurt or dies? And, you know, I had managed to figure out a way, made decisions as a very small child. I'm only going to get this close to people because right. that way I can't get hurt. Right. And um, through my recovery journey, I learned that was a decision a young child made but it's not a decision on how to be happy in life that with the right people, with healthy people, with the um, healing of our own path, that Mm -hmm. we're missing out on the greatest experience of being human, which is having this intimate, loving, safe relationship with other human beings. And that's that, um, the balance of that between a loving relationship and a joyful relationship with myself in my own life is really my definition of happiness. Yeah, nice. And just to make it really kind of um, stand out, what would you say is your definition of codependency? Like what setting those up against each other, what does codependency look like or how would you define that? Codependency for me is an unspoken contract between two people that um, the other person doesn't know about. My way of getting my needs met, I thought that if I do everything that you want me to do and be everything that you want me to be, that then you'll do everything I want you to do and you'll be everything that I need. Mm -hmm. And Mm then because I never even could say it in my conscious mind, um, you know, alcoholics and codependents take each other hostage. Mm -hmm. Um, And that because we're both so wounded, It wasn't a, I want to be in this relationship to be an equal with you, to grow side by side with you. It's like, I'm going to make sure you need me so much that you can't leave me. Right. But then why won't you, um, but why are you angry at me for um, being so dependent on me? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel safe being in an equal relationship. I thought, well, then they'll leave me. Uh-huh. So I would pick people that I almost knew um, weren't able of 
you know, loving themselves, let alone me. And so right. then I'd always be needed. Right. So the what problem would you... is, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, please. No, I'm finished. Well, so thank you for that. And uh, and so what would you say were some of the key things that helped you, um, you know, kind of shift from, you know, relating in this way and, and kind of repeating this pattern and this cycle of relationship and made it possible for you to step out of that and into having, you know, those healthy relationships the, that are, um, you know, balanced and all about the give and the take and not um, as you just described. What did you? What do you notice about that? Well, for me, it really was I needed a community that I felt safe in. Mm-hmm. Um, it was having people to love me that I wasn't in relationship with that would give me the courage to try things in my relationships, to set boundaries, to find out, um, you know, to do the work on the decisions I made as a child about what love and life looks like, to challenge the lies that I carried out of that, because a child doesn't know that what makes sense in their head isn't true. Right. So I needed to do the work with a therapist and with um, the recovery community um, you know, trained therapists have questions that work us through this. Twelve-step um, programs have sponsors, and the twelve steps that help us become self-aware and then take responsibility for our part. But it's really the other people that are supporting us to give us the courage to take these baby steps because it feels so frightening to change how we do things. Like mm-hmm. to tell the truth in a relationship, even on something that. You know, I never thought of that I lied in relationships, but when somebody would say, do you want to do this, and I didn't, I would go, okay. Right. But I, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then, then when they would tell the truth, I don't want to do that, I'd get mad and say, well, I did this for you, and they said that you wanted to do it. You know, we had these miscommunications <laughs> all the time because right. oh, yeah. I never was honest enough because I thought if I say no, they might leave. Mm-hmm. Um, that was yeah. always the, you know, the core fear that I could yeah. actually do something that would make somebody leave me. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it really didn't matter to me whether I wanted to be there or not. Because for the most part in a lot of my relationships, after the first six months, I didn't want to be there. But I didn't right. know how to leave either. Gotcha. And so it was the combination of, you know, it's not a quick fix. It's um, it's a journey. My journey continues today. Um, but during my 20s and 30s, it was... It takes a lot of courage to do this work, and the way that I got the courage was the love of other people who were saying, were, honestly, I would say to, to these you know, women that I just met and loved in these rooms, if everybody leaves me, will you still be here? That's how mm-hmm. intense it felt to me to take some of these chances to say, no, I don't want to go to this movie. No, I don't want to get a dog. I don't want to have something more to take care of. You yeah. know, And it sounds yeah. kind of silly now, but it was really big steps at that point. It was no, really, absolutely. I just was waiting for everybody to leave, and I was so surprised that nobody left. In fact, um, kind of the, you know, you said, you know, kind of the laughter and the fun of this is like I never knew that when I was ready to be out of these unhealthy relationships, I couldn't even get them to leave for the weekend. Mm. Um, some people, I, you know, I couldn't even get to leave for years. Um, yeah. I could set boundaries, but I, you know, I, I really needed to respect um, the addiction process for me, 
because I think sometimes mm-hmm. codependency is not thought of as an addiction. It's thought of as we care about people who are addicts. But really, mm-hmm. you can pry me off of some of these relationships. Right. And yeah. um, I was addicted to the, um, you know, leaving some of these relationships felt like what I've been told coming off heroin feels like. And right. so I started having to respect my limits, that if something, if there was a person that I, you know, was so um, obsessed with, that I couldn't have any kind of contact with them at all if I wanted them out of my life. I couldn't play with that any little bit. The yeah. way an alcoholic doesn't go sit in a bar around drinks. Right, right. And when I finally respected the power of the, of my addiction to relationships, I became more free because there was a part wow. of me that said, oh, I can handle it. And I'd have one contact with somebody and I'd go in a tailspin for a month. Yeah, And yeah. So I needed to do the work to respect both my addiction to allow myself to leave these relationships or put them as um, my dear friend Sister B says in the balcony and decide who was going to be in the front row of my relationships. Yeah. And it wasn't that anybody else was going to do this for me. I was going to be given the courage and the support, but it was my job to um, step away from these relationships and create this new life for myself. And little by little, I was able to do that to the point where I am now in a sober relationship. I've been married to my husband, who's been sober for 28 years. And our child was raised in sobriety. And we have a way to communicate Mm -hmm. um, between our meetings and our sponsors and our therapists where we tell the truth and then we're free to be intimate because we are being vulnerable with each other. And there's all this happiness and, you know, the eggshells are gone. And, um, you know, the expansiveness, it's what my um, sponsor used to call getting a great big life. It's saying I never could have opened a business and left a career where I felt safe if I hadn't been able to do this work and say there's so much more to me than just what I do. You know, that what gifts do I want to share while I'm here? And it's mentoring and it's, you know, there is a path. You have to have the courage to get on it, but you're never going to be alone on it. And that's something I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Thank you so much for that, Andrea, because that's such a really powerful message to, to iterate here because, you know, one of the things I hear from your story that certainly many survivors of abuse go through um, is this fear of abandonment. And, you know, whether it be because we have a father who kind of comes and goes and comes and goes or we're experiencing um, physical or emotional or sexual abuse that creates this sense of people are always going to leave. This is a big story of mine, a big belief of mine as well. Uh, that I couldn't really count on anyone. And so over and over I would repeat that cycle in my relationships of essentially pushing people away so I could, you know, reinforce this belief that I had. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to being afraid of loss and what that will mean for us and how we can't cope with it. And um, it actually uh, makes me think of a resource that I'd love to share with our listeners Um, If this is you and you notice that you're kind of having these same uh, issues in your relationships and struggling with these fears that Andrea and I are talking about today, you can head over to rachelgrantcoaching.com slash abandonment and download my 
a three-part series uh, audio guidebook and workbook that will help you explore this issue a little bit more deeply. So please do check that out if you're interested, rachelgrantcoaching.com slash abandonment. And Andrea, I'm so excited to hear, you know, how your life has transformed and how you've really been able to step into a relationship that feeds your spirit and also work that you get to do and this mentoring and advocacy work that you do as well. Um, Any final thoughts that you'd like to share today? Well, I would just say that if anybody can relate to my story, um, allow yourself the gift of reaching out to Rachel or um, to the support and, and the help that you need. You deserve a happy life. And the child in you deserves to be healed of the lies that she believes. Um, the world is a really pretty good place. And there are wonderful people out there. And you deserve the happiness and the joy and the freedom that come with walking in integrity and um, having uh self-respect and having self-love and you just can't imagine the gifts and the joy that's coming to you from this work. This is actually the work. We put all this work into relationships thinking that's what will make us happy and it's really our own personal work that brings that because we can actually participate in the changes and most Mm -hmm. of our relationship work is with people who are unwilling to work with us. (laughs) And... um, and so this is very satisfying because the relationship we're in is with ourselves. Yeah. And oh, um, I, I want to thank you so much. I think the work that you're doing is so important, Rachel, um, because this is such a common thing, especially where addiction is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a very common pattern, so you're not at all alone. And there's so many resources right now to help heal that um, I just encourage you not to be alone with this anymore and to embrace. I know how scary it is. I know that it feels very scary to open these doors, but you're an adult now. And with the help and the support of loving people, um, you can not only heal, but you can create the life that you're dreaming of. Mm. Well, I can't have said it any better than that. (laughs) So beautiful. And thank you so much, Andrea, for being here today and sharing your story and just being a beacon of hope and encouragement and really spreading that um, light. And it's just really, really wonderful and such a pleasure to have had you with us today. Well, thank you so much for asking me to be a guest. It's the most important message I can share it was given to me freely, and um, you know, if if there's any, if even one person finds joy from this path from hearing me, that's the most satisfying thing I could ever ask for. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, everyone, thank you so much for being here and tuning in to the Beyond Surviving podcast. And I really appreciate you taking the time to tune in. Don't forget you can head over to rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to explore the other resources available on the site. And please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We have much more to share. And uh, until next time, take good care of you. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.